You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. Usually we are weekly and you can listen to us on Mondays, but at the moment we're doing a few more episodes each week because it's a pandemic right now and our mental health is probably suffering and we could all do with a bit more support. I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. And today we're chatting to Piers Wilkinson. He's the NUS's Disabled Students Officer and we're going to be discussing how the epidemic is affecting students' mental health. So I work as the Disabled Students Officer at the National Union of Students. It's a position that's elected by disabled students from across the country, where I uh, represent well, hundreds of thousands of disabled students out of the seven and something million that are in further in higher education. Um, as part of this role, um, I work leading the political campaign that is uh, to represent and lobby for and support um, the bar- and break down the barriers facing disabled students from mental health to physical um, impairments to learning differences, learning disabilities, the whole myriad. So Piers, what kind of challenges are students facing during the epidemic? We've got a multi-variety of issues that um, has come into me personally as well as my colleagues at NUS. From the financial constraints of being unable to uh, rely on income streams like others, uh, particularly in light of being ineligible for a lot of the um, funding packages that the government have made available, um, as well as having to continue sometimes with uh, as if it were normal provision of their course, so assignments, essays, thesis, dissertations, all whilst trying to navigate lockdown, social isolation, um, cutting off of support packages from mental health on-campus provision to the usual uh, friendship circles that students rely upon to maintain their uh, health generally, both socially and physically. So there's this plethora of 
all interconnecting factors that is just making um, barrier upon barrier upon barrier for a lot of students in the country. Um, and it's every every little bit adds up. And it means that a lot of students are struggling um, during the lockdown. How is the ep- epidemic affecting students' mental health in particular? The two main areas are that we know the larger a disabled, uh, well, disabled students in particular, but students as a whole, the larger your uh, social community, the better your mental health is. And obviously lockdown reduces that social community to just who's in your household. So there is that fundamental aspect of your mental health is impinged because of the fact that you're unable to continue with the day-to-day life that you've gotten used to. But it's also the additional stresses, uh, both financial and course-related, as well as housing, that mean that students are in spaces and conditions that they don't feel at home in. We know that student housing is not the best, uh, to put it lightly, um, whilst also being one of the most expensive. So there's this place where you don't feel at home. You don't have connections that you relied upon while studying and being in a stressful situation of studying. And to top that all off, you've still got to try and navigate the courses and the assignments all heaped on top at the same time. Students are facing such... Um, sh- tiny little things in their day-to-day to do with their course and then you've added in a pandemic that's cut off a lot of the support structures that they've previously had to rely on um, you end up in a situation where mental health is just taking knock after knock after knock. So with uh, students assignments and exams and everything what is the situation right now are things postponed are they held off how are students dealing with it every institution each higher education and further education institution is to a certain extent autonomous in what they do um, and how they respond particularly higher education so universities um some i say some the majority have uh, implemented something called a no detriment policy it varies mm-hmm. from university to university but it basically states that your average grade before the pandemic is the lowest grade that you will get regardless of your results of assignments or exams done during the pandemic. And that just recognises that we're in such extreme circumstances, extenuating circumstances, that you can't reasonably expect someone to perform at their best. And it just recognises that and relieves the pressure of students thinking, oh no, I'm going to screw up this exam, um, from worrying about that impacting the rest of their life or the rest of their degree. Because Students are meant to be graduating this year. They're meant to be continuing on into further study, whether it's master's or PhD. And then that's not even coupling in the fact that people are losing family members and loved ones that they can't talk to and they can't be a part of. And they're worried about their parents. They're worried about their friends and family. To then be in a situation where you're trying to make sure that your university is making sure that you aren't impacted negatively because of the pandemic. Unfortunately, there are some institutions that are taking the approach that online provision is good enough. Mm. Um, As a disabled student's representative who has a particular specialty in digital accessibility, uh, that is just not true. There is no way anyone can logically sit there and say that students have equal access to digital content regardless of disability to a certain extent we know that people struggle affording uh, computers and laptops 
Some institutions have had to give out £25 Tesco vouchers so that students can get headsets so they can participate in Zoom calls. And if that is being recognised in the system and in the sector, and then institutions are not recognising that that is going to play an important role on the damaging impact of this pandemic on people's mental health, then in my opinion, and they're not supporting their students to the best of their ability or their responsibility. Well, that was kind of my next question is, are they doing enough to consider people's mental health? Generally, I think there could be so much more that could be done, Mm -hmm. uh, both from a university and college perspective, but also from a wider society and governmental perspective, because it's not just universities that provide support for students that are facing mental health difficulties. We knew before the pandemic that the higher education sector in particular, but further education included, was facing a mental health crisis. Um, the sector events all across the country that I've ended up be going to and speaking at, everyone's in agreement there is a crisis in the mental health of students. Now couple that with a pandemic where NHS services are almost impossible to get a hold of, your on-campus services that you may have been using as a lifeline are no longer open and some of the staff have been furloughed to even to that extent. There's this issue of limbo for a lot of students that without a pandemic to include and in all the, the issues that come along with worrying about your friends and family and where you're going to get your medication, where you're going to get your food from, to have that support cut off almost cold turkey, as it were, is dangerous and of itself. So I think that universities, but also the government, need to recognise generally that there has to be so much more done to ensure that the mental health crisis that we were already facing before the pandemic doesn't spiral out of control during or post uh, when we come out the other side. What should the government do and universities in general to improve the way that they support students' mental health? The government, I think, needs to recognise that we don't, as students, don't have access to the financial packages that they've made available. Um, and that's why, as part of NUS's public call, we're asking for um, dedicated funding for institutions, hardship funds, a national hardship fund, as it were, so that students that previously were supporting themselves part time, that were previously um, having uh, financial support that is no longer available in the pandemic lockdown, they're able to continue living in a way that means that their financial issues aren't impacting on their mental health. We know finances play an important part in mental well-being. The secondary aspect is recognising that there is no foreseeable way to ensure robust, equal and fair and equitable access to the learning content of the courses currently put online. So to then expect equal and fair and equitable access to um, exam provision is also not at all logical. So it's recognising that as well is the main aspect, that they must mitigate and support students, that if they want to do a leave of absence and come back and study when there isn't a pandemic, that they are done, that they're able to do that, but also not be financially penalised for wanting to be able to do that and not have to pay another 9000 or 15000 if you're an international student. And then the last aspect is ensuring that the support structures that they had in place previously 
the mental health support lines, ensuring that they're liaising with NHS uh, mental health support structures and infrastructure to ensure that students that are stuck in lockdown on campus or in their student accommodation or those that have gone home are able to access the at least a bare minimum amount of mental health support to ensure that they're able to continue onwards in a healthy mental well-being uh, system so that they can do the things that is essential in a lockdown. They can ensure that they have the the health, the mental health, to facilitate operating under a lockdown in a way that means that they're going to come out the other side healthy and whole. Absolutely. Um, And what kind of issues do you think students will face when the lockdown is lifted? I think that really does depend on when um, we can return back to, uh, you know, when when there is a post-lockdown. First and foremost, the biggest issue is definitely housing and ensuring that the private rented sector and the purpose-built student accommodation sectors both give a rent holiday to students. Because if you're coming out of the post-lockdown with thousands of pounds of rent debt, you're either starting a new academic year in thousands of pounds of debt that is not student loan, or you are going on into the post-education process with thousands of pounds of debt as well. So it's about ensuring that there are agreements in place and support from the government to say that it's not expected that you will be saddled with even more debt than is usual for attending university, that you will not that you will come out of this being able to continue with your life without having to be disadvantaged because of who you are. We know that in particular disabled students Um, students of colour and trans students have significant barriers in what they're accessing already and couple that with six, seven months without the dedicated support that they were previously relying on. There will need to be a recognition and funding of the services that they were previously relying upon to deal with the the workload that will happen post-lockdown as everyone all of a sudden applies and starts the processes all over again. In terms of education, to ensure, in particular, my 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 membership is disabled students, the government need to recognise that disabled students allowance, which is the, the funding system to help support reasonable adjustments while studying, needs to relax its medical requirements of evidence. Because if you're applying to start in September in university but you can't get medical evidence because you're in lockdown that means you're going to be starting in september with not it we're not having the key support and key uh, adjustments in place that are essential to continuing in education at the bare minimum and to reduce dropout rates so there is a whole plethora of things that i could sort of highlight and go into but generally it's about recognizing that students don't have this easy in actual fact we're struggling more than most generally because of the situation that we're sat in in terms of housing financial and social and that the support that is put in place needs to focus in on the most disadvantaged students to equitably sort 
the aftermath and the current issues being created in this pandemic to ensure that we don't return to the crises that we've knowingly admitted were in in existence beforehand. Can I just ask about the medical evidence that you were talking about to get the disability student allowance? What kind of evidence do you need to provide? So it Medical evidence under the Disabled Students Allowance application often requires uh, up-to-date or recent, as it were, um, diagnoses and doctor's letters, doctor's notes, specialist reports. And it can be quite difficult without a pandemic to get that evidence because sometimes it's costly to get a doctor to write you a letter. It can be upwards of 50 to £100 per letter which is also per diagnosis. So if you're a person like myself or like the students that come and talk to me, if you've got 12 Mm -hmm. diagnoses, you're paying hundreds, if not thousands of pounds to get the right amount of evidence. You then couple in that everything's on lockdown. GPs and doctors have something else to prioritise than medical evidence right now. Um, So there is that issue. But then we also must touch on the fact that in particular disabled women often face significant barriers to accessing diagnosis as a thing until at the age that most people go to university. So, for example, for in particular autism spectrum, um, women in particular mm-hmm. are much more likely to have to wait until their 30s or late 20s before they get a proper diagnosis, as it were, of autism. And that means that if you don't have a formal diagnosis, it can be very difficult to get the supplementary evidence and the administrative weight of all of that on top of being in a lockdown where you're struggling to call people, you're struggling to communicate. Um, And it's just one of these things that there are other systems of evidence that you can collect. There's the uh, education and healthcare plans that, you would have if you receive support in school or college. And I don't understand why the government can't see that that's enough evidence to say, well, we know roughly what your support will be. So here's the support that you need. And there's similar structures throughout all of the nations and things, Uh, you know, NUS, um, USI and my colleagues in NUS Wales and NUS Scotland. They all have devolved education and they all have different funding systems. But across the entirety of the UK, there is the same issue time and time again, that there is a a cost and an administrative burden of hours related to accessing support. And it's about the government recognising the Department for Education going, okay, we're in a pandemic, let's relax what is to a certain extent known to be a burdensome process to ensure that come September, students have what they need. Um, Bristol's Getting Things Changed report highlights that no matter where you are as a disabled person in society or in mental health included, you will face extra hours required to access the same resources and same courses and same work opportunities as your non-disabled counterparts. Mm-hmm. It can basically be a part-time job, is the way I like to phrase their <laughs> summary. It's a part-time job to access the support structures to support you. And in particular for mental health, we know it impacts people's desire to fight through these barriers. It's mm. tiring to have a mental health condition. To then say, please spend 10 hours getting the support needed so that you can do education is an illogical situation 
and in particular for myself it, it's something that I think that the government really needs to address. Yeah and especially because you're being asked to kind of advocate for yourself and be a bit pushy. I know even from just trying to get a GP appointment or medication it can be difficult so um, it must be very difficult trying to access that support. This is probably one of the most precarious questions to, to, to be asked, but I'm glad you asked it. Um, we, due to the nature of my job, I basically hear significant of the time the bad stuff that happens because that is mm-hmm. who is incentivized to come and talk to me. However, I have done my utmost to try and find the good practice, but it's incredibly difficult, particularly when currently the priority of institutions is to focus on academic provision and much less on the support structures that were in place beforehand being adapted to provide support during the uh, current lockdown and this can be seen to a certain extent in like the the recent history of the, the sector moving mental health support in particular outside of their responsibility to a certain extent. So you see uh, private firms coming onto campuses to deliver mental health counselling and provision. You see them sort of outsourcing it to these apps and these websites, such as Big White Wall and things like that. And whilst they Mm -hmm. can be helpful in creating that holistic environment that is required to support people facing mental health challenges, it is not an alternative or a substitute. and Institutions in particular need to recognise that these are not substitutes for adequate one-to-one mental health support. Um, NUS has got um, a a COVID uh, pandemic student survey, massive data report coming out on Wednesday, which will have a lot of information about what students are asking for to support them, all the way from academic to uh, mental health and housing. And that in of itself just highlights that it, there's no one size fits all. Mm. And the real th- main key thing that institutions and student unions and the government and local services in the NHS can do to ensure they support students is to listen to the students in their area. Because, as you know, who knows what support a person needs best other than themselves? And I think that really key is really key coming down to supporting students that are facing extra barriers due to who they are. So, for example, um, nursing students, disabled nursing students have been in contact with me because they can't complete this voluntary helping out the NHS during the pandemic because they themselves are at risk, which means that they can't complete their course because it's been transferred into credits for doing that. And therefore, they're, they're, as because of their status as a disabled student in this pandemic, their only option is a leave of absence, which is not what they want to do. And they're not being listened to. And this is causing compounding issue after compounding issue of, onto their mental health because they just feel like they're not being listened. And we all know that the first step in achieving support for someone facing mental health challenges is to l- listen to them, listen to what they're facing, listen to what they're going through. So I think to sort of sum up my rambling there, unfortunately, (laughs) is that 
the government need to listen to what students are asking for. Institutions need to listen to what students are asking for. And local NHS services need to listen to what students are asking for. It's really simple. It is. I enjoyed the ramble, though. It was great. (laughs) Can I ask, uh, obviously, the government needs to act, universities need to act, but on a more individual level, if someone is a student, they're listening and they're struggling with their mental health, what can they do to deal with all of this, the pandemic, mental health issues, being a student? Big question. What can they do? I think the first is to accept that we're all in this together, but in a non-cheesy way. What Mm -hmm. I mean by that is you have students across the country that are facing similar but not the same issues that you are. And your friends are there to do weird things on Pictionary apps and Zoom and FaceTime. And even if you don't have that friendship support structure, like when I was a student, I often struggled to make those friends. Mm -hmm. There are people fighting for you and that you are the one to, you know, you're not alone in this. And that is often said when it comes to mental health. And I, when I was struggling with my mental health, as I do quite frequently, I hate that phrase that you're not alone. (laughs) So instead I will say myself, my colleagues at NUS, student union officers across the country, we're all fighting for for you and for students that are in similar positions to you. So whilst you are not alone, but you may be alone in lockdown or you may be stuck somewhere that you don't want to be, there is something coming that is going to change this. The pandemic can't go on forever. It's just a mathematical probability. To quote the fact that I'm a dork. <laughs> But it's the fact is we're fighting for you and to a certain extent we're here to talk and your friends are here to talk and there are helplines out there if you just want to talk to someone. My old university did something called dial a donut where you would ring the helpline, you'd chat to someone and they'd send someone around to give you a donut. Donut? Can't do that in a a donut, yes, uh, sugary baked goods. We can't do that. it's a great thing to do outside of lockdown because yeah but there's lots of quirky little things to find happiness at i personally have been playing a video game that is about oceans and oceanography and things like that because i studied oceanography and i just love seeing the oceans so if you can't reach out and you don't feel comfortable reaching out find something that makes you happy and do that what is the oceanography game? Uh, so it's Subnautica. Um, it's basically a cross between exploration, building, and uh, horror to a certain extent. There's like ocean, but everything's uh, almost all organisms in the entire game are bioluminescent. Oh, that's cool. Um, <laughs> so like they glow, and you get day and night cycles. And I really like it because water and oceans are my thing. Um, other than obviously fighting for disabled students' rights. It's <laughs> you can have two nerdy. things, it's fine. <laughs> two things, it's great. Uh, it's fighting, it, it's in these worlds, it's just exploring and encountering new things. And that's my happy thing. Uh, a friend of mine really enjoys uh, really, really bad puns that I come up with. So once a day, I send them a really bad pun. What was today's? Um, uh, today's was. Um, I don't know if I can say it. 
basically, uh, for those that don't know, because obviously this is a podcast, um, I, I'm a wheelchair user and my legs don't work well at all. Um, it's basically, it was, uh, it was a pun based on the fact that um, we can step up for each other. It was just a, a photo of me laying down on the floor. Um, which my friend gets meaning because obviously like I can't stand up or step up to anything. Um, yes. But it was just one of these things that it's so bad, but it's so me that it's these little things that help people get through this lockdown. Um, FaceTiming your friends and family is always good fun. And it's about the, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's, it's the little things that help us get through this. It's the book, it's the video that we watched that is of a frog screaming until it's put into water where it makes little bubbles. Amazing. <laughs> um, so if you are listening and you are struggling, it is one of these corny things of you're not alone, we are fighting for you and come join us on that fight. Um, but also, you don't have to. You can just sit and watch uh, another episode of Community on Netflix. There is no requirement to be productive in this lockdown. That's a huge thing because everyone's saying, oh, you need to bake or you need to write your novel now. Yes. um, I have told one of my friends that he can take my government mandated daily run. (laughs) Because I'm obviously not going to use it. Um, And it's just just these little things that, um, just to clarify, he hasn't gone outside more than the daily allocated ones. It was, of course. he is sticking to lockdown We're not going to call the police, it's fine. <laughs> but it is these things Excellent. that not not being productive is in of itself okay, because if you're looking after yourself, that is the number mm-hmm. one thing that you can do. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from If you've been affected by any of the stuff we talked about today, or you're struggling with your mental health amid the pandemic, you can contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.